good morning. Thank you for investing these few moments in your spiritual growth. I really consider it a privilege to share with you on this program that has meant so much to so many people over these many decades. In Jamaica, February, among other things, is observed as Black History Month. Today, though Black History Month has passed, I would like to ask you to consider with me some thoughts on black history as we reflect on a few verses from the 13th chapter of the Old Testament book of Numbers. When you think of Black History Month, what comes to mind? What is the significance of Black History Month to you, and what is its focus? Should the church be involved in matters of black history? What are some of the obvious biblical lessons from Numbers chapter 13? And how does Numbers chapter 13 challenge us on this matter of black history? Well, in the early 20th century, there was a growing racial violence and segregation in the United States of America. In 1908 in particular, there were race riots in Springfield, Illinois, which motivated a group of African-American leaders to join together to form a new movement called the National Association of Advancement of Colored People, the NAACP. It was only a few years later, in 1914, that our own Marcus Garvey, at the age of 28 years old, founded, along with Amy Ashwood, the United Negro Improvement Association, the UNIA. The celebration of Black History Month began in America as Negro History Week, which was later celebrated in 1926 as an entire month. Black history is indeed very important, but not all persons are of that view. The truth is, this is something we need to wrestle with and think about. In fact, should the church be involved in the celebration of black history? I say a resounding yes, with at least two reasons in mind. First, let us not forget that the church played an important role in the abolition of slavery. Second, history is an important context in which the church offers leadership. Therefore, the church must help to interpret history in its quest for nation-building and human flourishing. Look with me at Numbers chapter 13. In Numbers 13, the Israelites have arrived at the southern border of the promised land of Canaan after wandering in the wilderness for almost 40 years. Ever since the days of God's miraculous deliverance from Egypt, causing them to walk through the Red Sea on dry land, the promised land is where they were heading. In the first two verses of Numbers, we are told, quote, The Lord said to Moses, Send some men to explore the land of Canaan, which I am giving to the Israelites. From each ancestral tribe, send one of its leaders. End quote. The chapter goes on to tell us the names of the twelve men who were sent to represent each tribe. Verse 17 tells us, quote, 
When Moses sent them to explore Canaan, he said, Go up through the Negev and on to the hill country. See what the land is like, whether the people who live there are strong or weak, few or many. What kind of land do they live in? Is it good or bad? What kind of towns do they live in? Are they unwalled or fortified? How is the soil? Is it fertile or poor? Are there trees in it or not? Do your best to bring back some of the fruit of the land. We are told, parenthetically, that it was the season for the first ripe grapes. After exploring the land for almost 40 days, the men came back with two reports, a majority report and a minority report. According to verses 27 and 28 of Numbers 13, quote, They gave Moses this account. We went into the land to which you sent us, and it does flow with milk and honey. Here is some of its fruit. But the people who live there are powerful, and the cities are fortified and very large, end quote. Ten of the twelve men gave this report, and they pointed out that there were giants in the land. They stated that they looked like grasshoppers to the people, and that they were like grasshoppers in their own eyes. These ten men concluded that they were not able to take the land. However, Joshua and Caleb gave a minority report. They saw the same things the other leaders saw, in the land, but they had a different perspective. Numbers 13 verse 30 tells us, quote, Then Caleb silenced the people before Moses and said, We should go up and take possession of the land, for we are certainly able to do it. There are at least three obvious lessons in Numbers 13 that the writer would want us not to miss. First, God is faithful to his promises. We see this in verse 1, where God renews his promise to give the Israelites the land of Canaan as a gift. In the same way, God is faithful to you and I, my friend, and you can trust God to bring every one of his promises to reality in your life. Second, the perspective leaders take makes a difference either for good or for evil. We see this in the text because the perspective of some of the leaders had spread fear among the people. But the perspective shared by Caleb and Joshua inspired faith and confidence in the people, convincing them that the land they explored could definitely be conquered despite the giants in the land. My friends, leaders matter. Leaders must not spread fear among those they lead. Good leaders will always inspire and motivate those they lead to achieve great accomplishments despite the obstacles they face. The third obvious lesson in Numbers 13 is that God's people can choose to obey God in faith and prosper or disobey God in fear and suffer. It all comes down to whose report we choose to believe. Both fear and faith carry their own consequences. Whose report will you believe today, my friends? You should always choose to believe what God says, no matter how impossible it seems. So, how does Numbers chapter 13 help us with our reflection on black history? 
I suggest three ways. First, freedom is not just an event, it's also a project. You see, the people of Israel were liberated from slavery by the mighty outstretched arm of God. But they did not enter the promised land until some 40 years later. Similarly, since the Emancipation Proclamation was made on the steps of the old king's house building in Spanish Town on August 1, 1834, full freedom remains a project despite our progress as a people. There is the project of reparations that is still outstanding. There is the project of educating our people, the project of land reform, the project of social integration so we can truly reflect out of many one people. There is a project of shared values and attitudes that should make the Jamaican society more caring, cohesive, and strong. There is also the project of economic prosperity as a nation. Friends, we must remember that these are some of the important matters arising for us as a people with a history of slavery. The same way God had to deal with Israel in their wandering and prepare them for the land in which they were to enter as a society in which they were to build, share, and enjoy with each other, God also wants us to, to understand that we are to walk with him as a people in our post-slavery project. <laughs> but the truth is, when we get to a place that 71% of our nation's people choose not to vote in an election, are we not trifling with our own democracy? The second way Numbers 13 challenges us about black history is that we should be careful of the meaning we make of the experiences we have. As individuals, we're always making meaning of the experiences we have, whether it is the experience of someone not turning up for an appointment without feedback or the experience of slavery as a part of our history. Note, that 12 of the leaders went to spy out the land of Canaan and two different meanings or two different interpretations were given to the people. What meaning have you and I made of our experience as people with a history of slavery? How has our experience of slavery as a people affected us and continues to affect us today? This is indeed a crucial question that we really don't have sufficient time to explore today. Suffice it to say, though, could it be that our experience of having a history of slavery has affected our self-confidence individually and collectively in relation to our colonial powers? Could this experience of slavery be what has impacted our sense of self-confidence and the reason why we're not even yet a republic? What role has slavery played in our culture of aggression and our culture of violence? These are questions that are impatient of credible answers. What I do know, however, is that I hear the voice of Marcus Garvey saying to us, reminding us that without self-confidence we are twice defeated in the race of life. I hear him saying to us that indeed, as he is strengthened by the melodious sounds of Bob Marley, challenging us to emancipate ourselves from mental slavery, reminding us that none but ourselves can free our mind. Here the encouragement, my friend, is for us to, as Marcus Garvey says, remember that we can rise up as a mighty race and we can accomplish 
what indeed we have purpose to accomplish. Here's a final lesson that I think we can learn from Numbers 13. As people with a history of slavery, we must reflect on how we perceive ourselves. Part of the reason the people of Israel were at the edge of the promised land but couldn't enter it is because of their grasshopper mentality. They saw themselves as no better than an insect. Their self-concept was lowly and misaligned with how God saw them. It seems to me that our experience of slavery as part of our history is still affecting our self-concept today. There are many people with black skin who believe that those of a lighter hue are automatically better than us. Not so, my friends. While in many ways the world is still structured to give the quote-unquote white man an advantage, we must let the content of our character speak for us rather than allow ourselves to be judged by the color of our skin. We must remember that it is diligence in the development of our gifting that will set us before kings, irrespective of our color and our creed. As we wrestle with the matter of interpreting the challenges and opportunities of black history, let us remember that we were all created from one man. So neither the black race or the white race is superior. Indeed, we are all related. We are just distant relatives. And, as Martin Luther King Jr. said, we must either learn to live together as brothers or perish together as fools. The Freedom Project in Jamaica still demands our attention. It is also true that in the spiritual realm, because our freedom from sin is not just an event, it's a project that is requiring our ongoing response to God until Christ is formed in us. Let's encourage our young people then to get to know their history and not to repeat it. Let's continue to have this conversation far beyond February to make sure that we understand where we're coming from, where we're going, and what this freedom project requires of us. Let us make sure that we respond to God in obedience so that we are not wandering individually and collectively rather than enter into the good land that our God has promised us. Next week, we reflect on the subject of self-denial.